Our scripture reading this evening comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. If you're reading from the Red Bibles found in the Pewbacks, that's on page 979. Ephesians, chapter 6, 10 through 13, page 979. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Good evening. In the past couple of days, we learned a few things about the origins of Islam from a biblical perspective. Everything that we learned boils down to this class this evening, what to do with what we just learned. We did not learn just trivial informations about the history and the theology of Islam. We also learned apologetics in this morning, and we, well, I shared a testimonial uh, in the uh, morning sermon. And now we will be talking about sharing the gospel with our Muslim neighbors. It is very encouraging to hear that the gospel has already been shared with a few Muslims that are friends or related to some of our members uh, or visitors in the past couple of days. This is the task of us all. Not one of them can do this uh, job by himself or by myself. Uh, one very common question that is asked all the time is how can I convert my Muslim neighbor? Uh, the bad news is that they have not yet invented that laser cannon that zaps the image of Christ into the head of our non-Christian neighbors. They are still working on it. The good news though is that Muslims have always throughout history left Islam and came to the Christian faith and some of them have even obeyed the gospel. In fact, we had a few uh, brothers and sisters in Christ visiting today, this morning, that came from a Muslim background. They are dear friends of mine, and they are here in the Houston area. And so the question is, what happened in the lives of these people that left Islam? Which, by the way, Islam has already done the biggest part of the job, and that is to have these people not interested in Islam anymore. In the past few years, a lot of changes happened in the Middle East that caused so many people to lose their loved ones, their lifestyle, uh, their jobs, and their way of life, and just move out of the community that was shaped by Islam and just look for a better alternative. These people have already been disenchanted with anything that resembles religion, and they are looking for a better alternative. They are looking to be loved they are looking to be accepted. They may not be interested in the Bible study, but they want to see a better alternative, a world where love and truth rule and not hate and deception. And let's make sure that when our Muslim neighbors come to us, they see or they fall in love with Christ through us and they do not loathe Christ. So 
before we talk about how can I share the gospel with my Muslim neighbor, we need to ask a more important question, and that is why. Before you talk about the motive or the means, you need to talk about the motive. To share the gospel with your Muslim neighbor, you will need a motive, a means, and an opportunity. And no, we are not trying to murder anybody here. <laughs> First, the motive. Why should I preach the gospel to my non-Christian uh, uh, neighbor, my Muslim neighbor? And here is the short version of the answer. When you share the gospel with your Muslim neighbor, keep in mind that if he or she responded to your message, you would be stuck with them for all the eternity. <laughs> Is this what you really want or not? Because if you cannot stand seeing your Muslim neighbor in, in the grocery store or in your neighborhood, don't you dare share the gospel with them. Do not tell them you're not supposed to be here. And by the way, let me tell you about Christ so that we can spend the eternity together. That can compromise your credibility. The Bible tells us a story that shows us how to not preach the gospel. The wrong way of preaching the gospel. The story happened in the book of Acts chapter 16 in the course of the second missionary journey of Paul. Paul was planning to visit those that he converted to Christ in the first missionary journey in southwestern Turkey. And he had the, the Macedonian call, he had a vision when he was in Troas, somebody in Macedonia, the northern province of Greece, uh, called him in a vision and said, come and save us. He crossed the Mediterranean into the European continent and started preaching the gospel in Europe for the first time. He was walking around with his friend Silas. We read in Acts 16, starting with verse 16, that it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her master's much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Did she say anything wrong? No. She called Paul and Silas servants of the Most High God. She called God the Most High God. She called the gospel the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. Then why in the world do we read at the rest of this passage that Paul was not pleased with this free advertisement the way I was pleased with the way the Katy Church of Christ advertised my seminar? We read that Paul in Acts 16, verse 19, was annoyed by that woman, and he turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. What was wrong with that woman? Here is what was wrong. Her motive. She could not care less about the salvation of the people in Macedonia, or in Philippi, the major city in Macedonia. She just said that because she wanted to cause troubles. She wanted to cause Paul and Silas to be beaten up and imprisoned, which eventually they were. Let's make sure this is not our motive as we share the gospel with our Muslim neighbors. If you go online on YouTube or the social media and see all those people who claim to be followers of Christ and they 
slander their Muslim neighbors. They show all these videos of Terry Jones that wanted to burn the Quran in front of a mosque in Dearborn. That person cannot care less about the salvation of the Muslim souls. He is just there to cause troubles the way that woman was there to cause troubles. Or those people that came from California called the Bible believers led by Reuben Israel that held a pig's head and stood in the middle of the uh, Arab festival in Dearborn in 2012 and they were stoned by the Muslim people there and they were dragged out of the festival. And that video is uh, uh, uploaded to YouTube under the title Christians being persecuted for their faith in Christ by Muslims. This is not faith in Christ, this is foolishness. And this is not the proper motive to share the gospel with anyone. We share the gospel because we are commanded by Jesus Christ to go to all nations, and that includes the Muslim world, and make disciples of them. This is what we know as the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, says Jesus, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we are called by our scripture to bring more people to Christ and to cause less people to leave the Christian faith because they do not see the love of Christ and the truth of his gospel in us. Let's make sure that we show our Muslim neighbors the love of Christ first and then the truth of his gospel. We are also commanded to defend the Christian faith. That implies that you need to know your Bible and be ready to give an answer to anyone that asks you about the reason behind the hope that you have. Sharing the gospel is also a matter of cultural influence. A community that is actively involved in evangelism uh, shares the gospel with their neighbors rather than uh, the other way around. If you are not active, then your non-Christian neighbors will be claiming you one by one. And that is already happening all over the world. Sharing the gospel with your Muslim neighbors is also a matter of national security. In times past, wars used to be fought between armies. There used to be an army in uniform versus another army in another uniform. Nations used to declare wars on nations. This is not the case anymore today. You do not know who your real enemy is. He or she can be a member of your own household responding to uh, a propaganda video on the internet, for example. What have you decided to do against someone who believes that if he blows himself up, and kills you, he will go to heaven. Kill him? That's why he's there for. And so this is not to say that the military and the political solution to terrorism is not necessary, but this is not the main issue. Because the key word in our warfare today is ideology. And you cannot get actively involved in this active warfare that we have today unless you become active evangelists. Once you establish the proper motive to preach the gospel with your Muslim neighbor, not because the head cover scares you, not because, well, if you are in America, then you need to be a Christian. You do not change religions when you travel to another country. You want to share the gospel because you want your neighbor to be saved. And folks, I understand that most of you do not have a good exposure to Muslims. I mean, 
you think of Islam, you immediately think of terrorism and 9-11 and this and that. And that is not the case with me, for example. I have a totally different exposure to Islam. When I go to the grocery store and I see that woman with the head cover with the child next to her, you may see a threat in that head cover. To me, that woman is my mom and that child is me. And that gets me very emotional. A few years ago, before I installed an air condition air conditioning system in my house. Uh, it can get pretty warm in Michigan in the summertime. And I was taking a nap in, in my house in Taylor, Michigan. And I woke up from my nap and it was the first moment where you, you don't know where you are at. And I thought I was back in my home in Baghdad with, with my mom and my sisters playing in the, in the courtyard of the house. And then I woke up and I realized that I was 8,000 miles away from my mom. I lived with my mom for over three decades, and I miss my mom. And I was thinking, how much longer do I need to live with her to just satisfy that love that I have for her? She's a devout Muslim. And that's when I realized that only the eternity can satisfy the love that I have with her, only if I lived with her for all the eternity. And that is the motive that keeps me going and keeps me doing what I am doing. And that is not only not because I hate my Muslim neighbors and relatives, but because I love them. And so we need to establish this motive first before we move to the means, and that is how can we preach to Muslims. First, do not fear. I have been doing this work for over six years now. Guess how many times have I been murdered because of that work? I am standing in front of you and I'm traveling. I have done this seminar in around 200 congregations in 33 states in the past six years. There is no reason for you to be afraid. Last year, 60,000 people died in the United States in highway car crashes. Zero people died sharing the gospel with their Muslim neighbors or their neighbors in general. You are more likely to die in a car crash than sharing the gospel. God says Paul, has not given us the spirit of fear. And then Paul mentions three opposites to the word fear. He said, but that of power and of love and of a sound mind. And if you know your math, you know that these three equal each other because the three of them are the opposite of fear. Love comes with power and hate comes with fear. Do not say, I don't like well, I'm not afraid of my Muslim neighbor. I just don't like him or her. Or do not say, I, uh, 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 I don't like my Muslim neighbor or I don't hate my Muslim neighbor. I'm just afraid of him. Because these things, says Paul, come together. If you do not have love, then you do not have power and you have fear and you do not have a sound mind. Boy, the stories that I hear all the time about the Muslim community in Dearborn. And you know that this is not true. Being here in Houston, I assume that at least half of you go to a Muslim doctor. You have entrusted your health and your life in the hand of your Muslim neighbor. There is no reason for you to be afraid. You are commanded and you do not have any excuse against sharing the gospel with your neighbor. How to start the conversation with my Muslim neighbor? Well, good news, you do not need to. They will. Because Islam also, like Christianity, commands its followers to share Islam with their neighbors because they also want to win souls to the Islamic faith the way Christ tells us to win souls to his body. 
when you call an Uber, you want the Uber driver to pick you up from where you are at, right? Well, that's at least what an Uber driver is supposed to do, which is not normally the case. And so you need to start with your Muslim neighbor where they are at. Do not make any assumptions about the Islamic faith. Ask them. Let them talk about themselves. See where they are at. Not all Muslims are the same. Some of them are devout Muslims, following a certain sect. Some of them are not devout, but they still claim their Islamic heritage. And some of them are flat out agnostic or even atheist. How can you know where that specific Muslim is standing now? Just let them talk about themselves and listen to them. And start from there. This is very important. Do not lie. Things, the filth like this that is filling the social media. Have you ever seen this on Facebook? This is shared by tens of thousands of Christians on the social media. Supposedly, this sign has been built in Dearborn, Michigan. Advancement of Islamic agenda for America. Is that even a thing? Allah be praised, America, we will kill you all and nothing you can do to stop it. Allah be praised. This is a hoax. I live in Dearborn, Michigan, by the way. I have been checked through by an Arab Muslim TSA officer on my way here. Muslims don't do that. But when Muslims sign uh, in on the social media and see these things, they will see in us uh, anything but the love of Christ and the truth of his gospel. I have been begging Muslims to be introduced to a God that claims to be love and a Christ that claims to be the truth. When they see these things and they, say, they see anything but love and but truth and they would tell me, no thank you, keep your Christ to yourself. Within the last year, the Muslim population of Dearborn, Michigan has risen 74%. That's a lie. Last Friday, April 18, 2018, the last remaining Christian church closed its door forever. Dearborn actually has more churches than mosques. Why would anyone put this? To spread fear and hate against the Muslim population and to scare you and to scare the votes out of you. Courtesy of Moscow, Russia. When you talk with your Muslim neighbor, make sure that they understand that you are talking about a faith. You are comparing a faith versus a faith and not people versus people. Because as you may think that you are introducing your Christian faith to your Muslim neighbor, your Muslim neighbor may think that you are telling him or her that my people are better than your people. And that unfortunately can get out of uh, control uh, and can be very tricky. So make sure you uh, 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 have your Muslim neighbor understand that it is not you and your people versus him and his people. It is both of us as human beings versus that one absolute truth that we are all accountable to follow, whether it is Islam or Christianity. Uh, like I said, uh, steer the conversation in a way that makes you ask about uh, uh, Islam while boldly answering their questions about the Christian faith, which implies that you need to know your Bible. I live a daily encounter with the fact 
that Muslims respect a strong Christian who knows his Bible more than they respect a friendly Christian who does not know his Bible. Stay away from the political debates and the social issues when you want to share Christ and focus on the main questions. The conversation can get everywhere and so many uh, differences between Islam and Christianity can be discussed and we can lose sight of what we are focusing at and so I suggest that you narrow down your questions to the three P's three questions that start with the letter P the uh, the, the, the proof the, the promise uh, or the path and then the promise of Islam versus that of Christianity First, the proof. My Muslim friend, you believe in one God as a unit, not a unity. You believe that Jesus is not the Son of God. You believe that he did not die on the cross. Of course you are not there. You only believe in that because the Quran says that, because the Quran is the source of the Islamic faith. Now I believe in God as a trinity. Not because it makes sense in my mind, which is one of the most common things that Muslims can address. How do you follow a God that is one but he's three persons at the same time? How does that make sense? We do not believe in that because it makes sense. We believe in that because the Bible says so. Muslims do not believe in God as a unit also because that makes sense, but because the Quran says so. That narrows down the question to should I follow what the Bible says or should I follow what the Quran says? What is the proof of the Quran's inspiration? Here is a book and here is another book. We have not seen any or either of these two books coming down from heaven. We take it for granted that these are the inspired word of God. And you know that even though they tell similar stories, their messages are radically different. And you need to know which one of them for sure is from God. Which one of them claims and proves to be from God? And just sit back and relax and hear the arguments. A few months ago, a friend of mine posted a video on Facebook that says, Praise be to Allah, people converting to Islam by the thousands in the American prison system. And I wasted seven precious minutes of my time watching that video to see why, what is the argument? Did they see the truth in the Quran versus the, the lack of truth in the Bible? There has not been, there was not a single Bible or Quran quote in the whole video. It turned out that they just wanted to join a community where they can feel they are protected in the prison system. Hopefully, in response to that, you know why you have invested your life and your eternity believing that what the Bible says is true. Because you will be accountable to that. Because that will decide where will you spend the eternity. And if you do not remember, why do we believe that the Bible is from God versus the Quran? Then go back to our class from this morning, the Quran or the Bible. That covers a lot of things. Muslims believe uh, in, uh, the, 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 that you have to obey the law of Islam as part of your salvation process because Islam is a legal system. Uh, the, the divinity of the or the the the, uh, the divinity of Christ, which Islam does not teach, uh, the triune uh, nature of God, uh, all these different stories 
can be narrowed down to you believe in that because the Quran says so. What is your proof that the Quran is from God? And then the path. My Muslim neighbor. Okay, so you follow the Islamic faith. What are you doing to ensure that you are a faithful Muslim? Praying? Fasting? Are you praying enough? Are you fasting enough? Here is the thing. Islam is a legal system. There is literally countless requirements in the Islamic system. And it's all about trying to please an unpleasable God. There is not a single point in Islam where a Muslim can say, I have done enough. I have been good enough. I was an engineer in Iraq. And I was sent on an errand with a driver uh, to visit uh, an engineering project site. And we shared a hotel room and we were talking in that room. And that man told me a story that has been the best illustration that I use about grace versus legalism. And legalism, folks, is not an issue that is specific to Islam or Judaism or Catholicism. It is even in the body of Christ. He says that when he was 17, he, was, he joined the wrong crowd and he got drunk. He got back home at midnight drunk. And he knocked the door and his mom opened the door. Now, Iraq is not a dry country, but because it's a predominantly Muslim country, people look down at alcohol. And it can be, your parents may hurt you if they knew that you've been drinking. Well, his mom opened the door and she did not say a word to him. And he said he felt so sick. He went to his bedroom and as he sat down on his bed, he knew that he's about, he was about to throw up. And his mom went to the laundry room and brought a big aluminum bowl that Arab women used to do their laundry and put it right in front of him and he threw up into that uh, aluminum bowl. Next morning, his mom did not say a word about that and she acted like what happened the night before uh, did not happen. And he said, I could vaguely remember all the details of that evening. Ever since then, I have never touched alcohol again in my life. Folks, that's grace. Islam says that if you consume alcohol, then you need to be given 80 lashes. And that man will never drink alcohol, not because he's afraid of the 80 lashes, but because his conscience reminded him that his mom cleaned after his mess and she dealt with him in love. That is grace. And that is to remember that God has been cleaning up after the mess that we've been making. Grace says God already loves you, so you live in a clear conscience with him. Versus legalism that says God does not love you yet, try harder. And unfortunately, this is the, the state of mind that Islam creates in the hearts of its followers. Legalism that thrives on pride and fear. The pride of the teacher that says you have not done good enough, which implies that I have been doing good enough, and the fear of the recipient. So my Muslim friend, have you been doing enough? The apostles said in Acts 15 about the law of Moses, which evolved eventually into the Sharia law of Islam. Let us not place a yoke of bondage on the new disciples that neither us nor our fathers were able to bear. Hopefully, you know 
the answer to the question that the Bible directly asks and directly answers. What must I do to be saved? And third, the promise. Why are you Muslim? Because I want to go to heaven. Why are you a Christian? Because I want to go to heaven. Everybody says that. And I assure you that most of them do not, did not really join that specific faith because they want to spend the eternity in the right place. You have heard my conversion story earlier today. And you learned that I did not reason my way out of Islam. And I did not study my way into the Christian faith. I was looking for something that is beautiful and then good before I came to the truth part. Many people are members of this congregation because they started dating a member of this congregation and got married to him or her. And that is not a bad thing if, if it causes eventually that person to be saved. Uh, why would anyone change uh, a church? Uh, why would anyone who used to go to the Methodist church start going to the Lutheran church? If you ask them, they would say, well, because they teach the truth there. And then if you ask them, no, really, why? They would say, because we have found a community where we can be loved and accepted. And that is a good motive to have. But that not usually is the motive. Motives can be uh, uh, much more trivial than that. Does Islam really promise you an eternity? And, well, Islam does promise you an eternity, but does it promise it uh, to be free from hellfire? Islam does not give you this assurance. As we studied yesterday, the word salvation does not even exist in the Quran. Hopefully you know why you're a Christian. And that is not because you are a citizen of the United States. But because, as Peter says in his letter, the end of our faith is the salvation of our souls. I am a Christian because I want to be saved. I want to stand before the righteous judgment seat of God a holy God, knowing that I have not been uh, perfectly good my whole life, and knowing that I have been forgiven. The Bible tells us that we worship a God who forgets. It says that in Hebrews 8, 12, quoting the book of Jeremiah, when God was talking about him making a new covenant with us, he said, I will be merciful to them and their sins I will remember no more. And God would say, well done my faithful servant. And you are expecting yourself to be punished for a specific thing that you have done. But don't you remember, uh, God would say, remember what? Share a copy of the New Testament with your Muslim neighbor. I have written a book. I have a few copies of that book and I can give you a copy of it for free that talks about, that tells Muslims about Christ versus the book that we've been studying in the past few days that tells Christians about Islam. The book is available in both Arabic and English. The motive and the means for the opportunity part, I have chosen to continue the story that I started earlier today from the time I graduated from Sunset International Bible Institute, two years after I came to the United States, not to become a minister, but to clean toilets and be free here. And because of that, I would like to quote Paul when he said that 
Uh, he thanked Christ Jesus. This is Paul saying, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. I am the worst, or I may be the worst of all the sinners in this building. And yet, God has honored me with his, the service of his word and the gospel of his son. Once I finished school, I moved to the Detroit area by the Detroit River. And, well, this is downtown Detroit, and this is Dearborn, Michigan, that hosts the biggest Middle Eastern concentration uh, anywhere outside the Middle East. There was a congregation here in the Taylor area that... Uh, uh, that I was employed at. There was another congregation that had uh, a parsonage and they let me stay in that parsonage and then I eventually ended up buying that house. I was stationed here to share the gospel with the Middle Easterners in the Detroit area. Why Dearborn? Why Detroit? Well, because Dearborn is the, or has the headquarters of the Ford Motor Company. Henry Ford was an anti-Semite. He employed Arabs at the beginning of the 20th century to get the Jews out of the city. And because of that, uh, the city's population of around 100,000 people has 40% uh, uh, of Middle Easterners, most of them are Muslim, and most of them are living in the eastern part of Dearborn. Uh, when you walk there, you see signs uh, written in Arabic and so many Arabic restaurants. It's like an Arabic Chinatown. Dearborn also hosts the campuses of the University of Michigan and the Henry Ford College. Detroit itself has a very decent Middle Eastern population and that's why signs are written in English in addition to Arabic. So here was I, alone on my own, was supposed to start a ministry that not many people are interested in. I wrote to my supporters and I said there is a continuous need. At that time, by the way, we used to have a lot of immigrants and refugees coming to the Detroit area in 2014. When I wrote to uh, my, uh, when I graduated and I wrote to churches to, uh, to trying to raise support, uh, I did not raise much support. Six months later, none other than Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi helped me raising my support when he declared ISIS a worldwide caliphate. And suddenly churches were interested in that kind of ministry and they started inviting me to speak at their congregations and giving me very generous contributions. They gave me Bibles and the World English Institute provided me with, I think you are familiar with this uh, three-level course that is loosely Bible-based but written to the Spanish-speaking people. Uh, plus Bibles and copies of, of, of the New Testament and evangelism books. I went on a road trip with one of our elders and I advertised a free English course. Did not mention my name or my address, uh, just gave my phone number and said, if you want to learn English for free, just call this number. I was scared at the beginning. Well, so many people called, only one family of six showed up. They would be the first people I shared the gospel using a loosely Bible-based ESL program. There is this issue. Taylor is 15 minutes away from Dearborn. Now in Texas, that's how much you drive to get your mail. But in Michigan, that's too far away. So the family said, well, we like your classes, but you're too far away from us. I had to start knocking on other doors. A woman whose daughter converted to Islam referred me to a ministry called the Crescent Project. I contacted that ministry and I said, I'm a recent graduate of a Bible school. I have a heart for my Muslim people and I'm looking for open doors. 
uh, one of them answered me and told me to attend a men's breakfast meeting on Tuesday. Ever since then, I've been a member of an evangelistic community, the underground community of Dearborn, people from different walks of life who know the, the ins and outs of the Muslim community in Dearborn. In fact, we meet at this man's house uh, every week. And uh, he is a graduate of a denominational school in California. And I had a Bible study with him for two years. And he said, I've been convicted. I know now that I need to be baptized to be saved. And I want you to baptize me. Well, through these people, I learned of an event that was coming to town called the Legacy Conference, the Dearborn Legacy Conference. I paid my fee, which was, I think, $90, to attend that expo, if you will, or fair, that hosts the, the, the ministries that are involved in, in sharing the gospel to Muslims. And there I met the guy who translated the gospel of John into Arabic, the one I talked about earlier today. This one, the biggest evangelist in the Middle East. He invited me to his course in Boulder, Colorado, called Engaging Islam. Everyone in this room has been prepared to take the gospel to the Muslim community in and out of the United States. The Church of Christ was not involved in any kind of work among Muslims. The Church of Christ now is leading that work. Every time any uh, uh, denomination wants to host an event for the Muslim community, like what the Lutheran Church is doing here when they were doing a, a Thanksgiving dinner, they invite yours truly to deliver a bilingual message to the Muslim families there. I started sharing my materials and their own turf uh, to equip Christians to show their Muslim neighbors the love of Christ and the truth of his gospel. I started a program that shares, well, I joined a ministry, a platform that shares the gospel with Muslims using, uh, I'm sorry, to, to teach uh, uh, the new uh, Arab immigrants English using the Bible. I started giving tours to church groups coming to Detroit and Dearborn and show them the Lord's work, taking them into mosques, talking with imams, um, any time any uh, 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 speaker comes to town, guess who is invited to translate the message of that speaker? I started becoming on radio, on TV, uh, uh, on, on newspapers, on the internet. The international door was open in 2016 when a congregation in Canada invited me to deliver my materials there. And based on that, they started their own program to the Muslim community there in Alberta. Uh, universities started calling me and, and inviting me to deliver my materials there. I wrote four books already, which I am republishing now by the way and that's the reason why I have not brought enough copies contact me and I can mail you these uh, if we can have the sound here this is just an example And this is one example of a former Muslim woman coming to Christ. <laughs> the 
the resolution is too big to show the baptism process. But anyway, this is what is happening. Uh, currently, the, the challenges of my work is that I, have, I don't have uh, permanent co-workers. Uh, my plan is, well, my work has been scattered. I have shared the gospel with quite a few Muslims who came to Christ. Uh, had I had my own place in Dearborn, uh, that place for the Arab Christian ministry, uh, I dream for it to, be at, to become at one point the first Arab-speaking congregation of the Lord's Church. And I am going through a few changes for the time being. I'm regrouping and, and, and re-planning uh, my work, but everything has been uh, uh, fine. The Lord has been faithful. The Christian individuals and churches have been very generous. Uh, one thing, uh, we are all obligated to share the gospel with our Muslim neighbors. You can either do that on an individual level with your own Muslim friend. Uh, you can either join a ministry that is ongoing that shares the gospel with Muslims, or if you cannot do any of that, just support any ongoing ministry. This congregation has been very uh, generous in its support when I have been invited here and uh, make sure that the contribution that you have made will uh, uh, ensure that the gospel continues to be preached to Arabs and Muslims in the United States and everywhere. I would like to conclude with the words of the Apostle Paul that we have read earlier in the book of Ephesians chapter 6 starting with verse 10. Ephesians 6 10 Paul says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle. And hence the title of our class this evening. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Folks, your enemies are not human beings. They are not the Muslim people. Our war is not against the Muslim people. It is against something beyond people. It is against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The key word in our warfare is ideology, as we have recently discovered. And Paul knew that 2,000 years ago. Our war is not with the Muslim people. It is with the system that is called Islam. And if you do not know what Islam can do to your community, ask an Iraqi. Your war and your enemy is not your Muslim neighbor. It is the Islamic system that we want to save our Muslim neighbors from. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. What's the plan now? Do we extend the invitation? Folks, the essence of the message of the gospel that is different than that of the Quran is uh, your way of salvation. And that goes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The bad news, the Bible says, and we all know, that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is the death penalty. The good news, though, is that Jesus Christ took that death penalty on himself to set us free, to give us that eternal hope that we can stand with boldness in front of the judgment seat of God, with no blemish and with no sin. 
This is the gospel that I am preaching to you this evening. If you are hearing these good news, if you believe in all your, with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you confess him as Lord and you give him the leadership over your life and repent, then you need to be immersed in water for the remission of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and be raised a new creation to walk with God in all righteousness and to share the gospel with the non-Christian neighbors of yours. If you have not done that already, please do as we stand and sing.